Come ye that love the Lord, and let your joys be known. Join in a song with sweet accord, join in a song with sweet accord. And thus around the throne, and thus around the throne. We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. That hymn was written by Isaac Watts. It's one of my earliest church memories. When being very small, my dad, who was preaching away, would often take the family along. And on the evening service, just before the chapel service started, the Salvation Army band would march past the chapel singing that song. I'm sure you've all heard it, haven't you? We're marching to Zion. It's a good hymn to march to. We're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upwards to Zion. Zion, the holy hill of God. Zion had a specifically historical importance. Is a specifically historical importance. It's a location. It's an actual place. The name refers to a hill in the city of Jerusalem and to the city itself. But it's also used in a general way to mean a holy place or the kingdom of heaven. Simon is often alluded to the importance of mountains in the Bible as a place where God has spoken to some of his people. For example... Moses was given the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. Abraham, taking his son Isaac to the top of the mountain to offer him as a sacrifice, was spoken to by God at the top of the mountain. These are just a few examples. So, as Simon says, if you ever find yourself on the top of a mountain and God speaks to you, listen very carefully. Psalm 24 is a marching song written by David. David has brought the ark to Jerusalem. There is a celebration of its return. But what is this ark? Well, I looked it up. The definition of the ark, of an ark, is a boat in which Noah and his family were preserved from a flood. Well, we know that, but I don't think King David was bringing Noah's ark. The next one is something that affords protection and safety. Okay, so an ark is something that affords affords protection and safety. That was certainly in the case of Noah, wasn't it? The ark provided him with safety and protection during the floods. The last definition is a sacred chest representing to the Hebrews the presence of God amongst them. That's what we're looking at. Moses on the mountain received a command to build an ark of acacia wood from God. We read this in Exodus 25.10. Have them make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide and a cubit and a half high. Inside the ark was placed the tablets of the law which God had given Moses. A pot of manna from when Israel was in the wilderness to remind them of God's love and provision and care. The rod of Aaron 
to symbolise God's given leadership and priesthood. On top of the ark was a golden lid with two cherubims with raised wings facing each other to cover the ark. This lid is also called the mercy seat. You may have heard people talk about the mercy seat. I don't know what to do. I've just taken the problem to the mercy seat, left it there. It simply means you're bringing your problem before God. John Newton wrote in one of his hymns, Approach my soul, the mercy seat, where Jesus answers prayers. There, humbly fall before his feet, for none can perish there. Some lovely words written a long time ago. Once a year, the priest would enter the holy tent and sprinkle blood from a sacrificed animal to atone for the sins of Israel. This was the covenant that God had made with his people Israel. This old covenant of atonement by the sprinkling of blood is no longer needed. As Jesus Christ is the new covenant in which Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is complete atonement for our sins. The ark was built on Mount Sinai and was taken by the Israelites with them to Canaan. When Israel was conquered by the Philistines, the Philistines took the ark. But misfortune overtook them. It made them think that possession of the ark was not the best thing that they'd ever done, as it was bringing them nothing but bad luck, so they sent it back. In 2 Samuel 6, King David summoned some troops to retrieve the ark. On driving the ark back to Jerusalem, the cart and its contents falter and the ox stumble. stumble. Euxerxes reaches out to catch the ark and died when he touched the sacred possession. Possession of the ark and God's commands are not to be taken lightly. Now, this is an extremely potted view of the ark. It's by no means thorough and you can pick holes in it, I know. But this is the ark that is now arrived back to Zion. This is where we pick up the psalm in, verse, in Psalm 24. The psalm starts by saying, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. The earth and the Lord and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The majority of people think they are outside of God's jurisdiction now and they don't need him. You hear them say, I'll do my own thing. If, if you want to bother with God, that's up to you, but you can do your own thing. It's, it's all old. You may even be sitting here thinking that yourself. After all, it's up to you what you believe, but it's not for me. But you're missing a couple of little words here. The last six verses of verse one reads, and all who live in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. 
This verse does not say the earth is the Lord and everything in it and all those that believe in him. No, the verse clearly states all who live in it. Not one is exempt despite what they may think. All of us here today in this chapel, all the people outside walking past in the street, all the people in Bonley, all the people in West Sussex, in Great Britain, in the whole world, every single person belongs to God. And one day, each of us will meet with him. Don't we read in Philippians 2.10, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, in heaven and on earth, and every tongue acknowledge him, acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all, and all who live in it. He founded it on the seas and established the waters. When I was young, my favourite saying on a Sunday afternoon was, on board. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else has ever used that expression. To which the reply was, why don't you do something creative? Take up a hobby or something. Try something new. I would like to, I would like a pan for every time that was sent to me because I'd probably be up there with Richard Branson or something. And in fact, Jane might have even said that to me once or twice. <laughs> so I don't know what hobbies you have. What creative things do you do? Art? Do you, do, you, do you get a paintbrush and mix up your colours and do some painting? Do you do some sewing? Is somebody here doing patchwork quilts or um, cross-stitching? I know a lot about this, don't I? <laughs> Have you a creative hobby? Jane and I are in the process of creating a new garden. In this garden, we're putting a border here, building a wall. Well, I am anyway. Jane's telling me where to put it. <laughs> Planting a tree. Planning things. You get the picture, don't you? There's just one small problem. We're not actually creating a garden at all. Whatever nice creative hobby you have, you're not actually creating anything. I guarantee almost that you've never created one single thing. You see, all you've done is to rearrange what God has already created. So Jane and I are creating our nice new garden, or so we think. But actually, we're rearranging what God's already created. We have never created a tree from nothing. All we've done is planted it. God created the tree. We've never created a flower. We just planted a flower. God created the flower. I was looking at the lovely arrangement of flowers. Somebody has spent a long time putting those flowers into the vase. And we use the term, what a lovely creation. But all the person done has rearranged, skillfully I might add, <laughs> What God has already created. Is Joe's looking at me? 
So if you think you've created something from nothing, have a chat with me after the service because I'd love to know exactly what you've created from absolutely nothing. All you have done is to rearrange. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We can read all about God's creation in Genesis chapter 1. Getting back to our psalm. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by false gods. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Two, I think you'll agree, extremely good questions. The answer is, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by false gods. So, do you have clean hands and a pure heart? Clean hands, I don't mean coming here this morning, having washed your hands while singing happy birthday. If we still do that, I don't know. I don't know how you've come here this morning. How do you see yourself here this morning? I want you to indulge me for a minute. This is going to be quite hard because we, we have trouble with the pedal bin, let alone this. I want you to imagine that you're sat in Bongley Village Chapel on a Sunday morning during a service. Okay, So think of yourself in Bongley Village Chapel on a Sunday morning sat in a service. Have we got that? We're going to call this person that you're thinking of as your Sunday self. So there you are, this is your Sunday self. It's the self that other people see you here today. Do other people see the fruit of the Spirit in you? Love, joy, forbearance, which is tolerance, kindness, goodness, gentleness and self-control. Is that person sat there, your Sunday self, do you express, do you show the fruit of the Spirit? Now for the harder part. Imagine there is a chair on your right hand side. Sat in this chair is your Monday to Saturday self. I'm going to recall, call this person your Monday self because it's less of a mouthful. How does your Monday self compare to your Sunday self? Is your Monday self full of love? Is your Monday self full of joy? Is your Monday self full of foreboding? Is your Monday self full of kindness, full of goodness, full of gentleness, full of self-control? Does your Monday self have the fruit of the Spirit? Is there evidence of fruit of your spirit, fruit of the spirit? I'm the first one to admit that my, Sunday, my Monday self needs a lot of work. Do you have a pure heart and clean hands? Is what we see the real you? Um, a long time ago, I read a book and 
it was not a Christian book. It was a Christian story, but not a Christian book. It talked about the BBC newsroom that you see on the television. The newsreader is sitting there all. Now they stand there. And behind them, there's um, pictures and things going on. And it looks all very organised. But you walk round the back and there's bits of wood holding up the um, displays and power leads running everywhere and it's right shambles. And it was used to describe how quite often we're like that. We've got this lovely front that we put on, but behind there's all this rubbish. But we must have a pure heart and clean hands. Do we have idols that we worship without realising it? Do we put other things before God? False Now false gods come in all shapes and sizes. Now the first one I put up is going to be very touching and earth for Peter. Football teams. Do you follow football teams like Tottenham? <laughs> what about that new car? Or the new kitchen? Many, many things we put before God, don't we? If you're a regular attender here, you'd have heard many times Simon warning of the folly of following false gods, the things that we put before our creator. Come to him with clean hands and a pure heart. They will receive the blessing from the Lord and vindication from God the Saviour, their Saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek your face, God of Jacob. It's a bit of an old-fashioned word, vindication. It quite simply means the action of clearing someone from blame or suspicion. If you want to turn back two pages, uh, turn over two pages to Psalm 26, you'll read, Vindicate me, Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord and not faltered. Test me and try me. Examine my heart and my mind, for I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and I have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. I don't think my Monday morning person is doing very well at the moment. Come to think of it, I'm not sure about my Sunday self either. Much to my relief, we live in the freedom of grace. Mm. Freely given to us through the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection. If you are a believer here then, always be mindful of your unfailing love and live in the reliance of God's faithfulness. If you have reliance in God, then you join all those that have gone before such is the generation who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift up your ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. The ark is coming home. Don't be gloomy or be downcast. Lift up your heads with joy. You have a covenant with God and now God is here 
about to enter the temple where he belongs. Open the doors wide and let him in. I don't know if you've ever seen a a very large set of doors, perhaps in a factory or a warehouse or, in my case, fire stations. Large doors that you can open wide. But in this door, this big door, is a small door. You've got me? The little doors. Some people call them wicket gates, personnel doors, pass doors. I've always referred to them as wicket gates. It's a door which you can pass through without having to open the big doors. However, in the case of Battersea Fire Station, never use it because just above it is the kitchen and I guarantee you'll get a bucket of water over your head. Go round to the main door. The king, the king is coming to visit. Outside, a large crowd has gathered. And inside, the floor has been scrubbed for the visit and polished. All the staff have been issued with new uniforms. Inside and out, we're all waiting for the king's arrival. Some are getting fidgety. A child in the crowd outside wants the loo. Mum reluctantly takes him, whilst Dad guards their place. They make it back just in time for the King's arrival. Everybody's looking up, straining for the view of the King, shouting and waving. And now they hold their mobile phones up, don't they, to to put it on KitKat or whatever you call it, Tic Tac. (laughs) At last, at last, the King arrives, stepping out of the car. He waves to the crowd. He approaches the door of the factory. Somebody opens the small wicket gate for him. The king has to stop, take off his crown, stoop to pass through the little small door. His crown is passed back to him. Then, one by one, his entourage entered the building through the small door. The door is difficult to get through. Don't you think that's ridiculous? No, the large door would be open wide so the king can come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. The king of glory is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is strong and mighty. That... We call it a children's hymn. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There is nothing he cannot do. The rivers are his, the mountains are his, the stars his handiwork too. He called you to live for him every day in all that you do and say. In all that you say and do. My God is so big, so strong and mighty. There is nothing that he cannot do. Maybe you think you don't need Christ. Maybe you're a Christian who only lets King Jesus come in through the small door. If you read 2 Corinthians 25 verse 2, you read, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but only half-heartedly. Please, Christians, don't let your heart, don't let this be you. Fling open your doors fully to Jesus Christ. We preach the Lord Jesus Christ, not a denomination, 
not a preacher's, not a commentary, not a philosophy, not an opinion. As a church, we preach Christ crucified for our sins, died on the cross, he rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and one day he will return. We preach Christ Jesus from the Bible. King Jesus can supply all our needs. Why would you reject Christ and lack these things? The need for Christ is the greatest need that anyone can have, more than anything else. But it's so easy to not know this. And it gets reduced to nothing because, as humans, we like to meet our own needs. We like to, we like to fulfil things that we can control. Food, money, temporal happiness, etc. But the greatest need remains unfilled without Christ. You need Jesus Christ and can be met by believing in the gospel of salvation that Christ supplies. Christ can be yours today, providing forgiveness, strength, hope and glory and a grace freely given when you believe. Every person needs the Lord Jesus Christ. Not every person knows this, but now you do. What will you do now? Trust the gospel and receive Christ. Lift up your heads, open your large door, sling it open wide and welcome in him, in him so that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Amen.